Good afternoon, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. This is Philip Terzian, literary editor of the Weekly Standard, and this is the weekly podcast of the Weekly Standard's Books and Arts section. And this week we are looking at the issue dated December 15th, which begins with a two-part review, uh, or I should say a review of two books, um, both on the same subject. The author of the review is William H. Pritchard, uh, distinguished professor of English at Amherst and frequent contributor to our pages. And the subject is Norman Mailer, who um, listeners will remember, uh, either with fondness or exasperation or neither or maybe both. But Pritchard makes the point that um, Norman Mailer, who of course began his career uh, with a post-war novel. He had been an infantryman in the Pacific during World War II and wrote a novel called The Naked and the Dead, which was published in 1948 and uh, was a huge bestseller and also made Mailer at the age of 25 um, a literary celebrity. And Mailer then spent the balance of his career, one might say, um, dealing with the dichotomy of literary distinction and celebrity in our media culture. Uh, He did continue writing fiction to the end of his life, but probably was better known uh, for his journalism and his essays on um, American society in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, and his, um, to some degree, blockbuster nonfiction works, his account of the 1968 political conventions, the book about Gary Gilmore, uh, the first person to be executed in the United States after the long hiatus um, in capital punishment in the 70s, a book about Lee Harvey Oswald, a book about Marilyn Monroe and various others. Um, anyway, Pritchard makes a, a a case for Mailer as a as a certainly a literary figure of significance, um, probably more for his nonfiction than his fiction. But the two books in question are a um, a paper, uh, excuse me, a, a biography of um, Norman Mailer entitled "Norman Mailer: A Double Life" by J. Michael Lennon. And the other book is edited by J. Michael Lennon, and it is uh, The Selected Letters of Norman Mailer. Mailer is probably one of the last um, um, relatively major figures in American letters for whom we will have um, written, typed, handwritten, printed uh, correspondence. It would be interesting to see what happens to authors' correspondence in the age of uh, email and so on. But we have it for Mailer's uh, long life, and William Pritchard has written a very interesting essay on a very interesting and controversial subject, which I'm sure will be of interest to Weekly Standard readers, certainly. That is followed by a delightful essay by Edward Short, who is a frequent contributor to our pages as well, and it is a review of a book entitled The Oxford Handbook of the British Sermon. 1689 to 1901, which, from a literary and historical standpoint, is probably the golden age of the English sermon. I think the book 
um, which I confess I have not read, it is uh, uh, confined to Church of England sermons, not just sermons that were delivered in Britain, where presumably there were um, others, uh, nonconformist and Catholic and what have you. Uh, Presbyterian, who knows? I'm not entirely certain, but it's 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 uh, British sermons from a literary and theological standpoint. And of course, when you go from 1689 to 1901, you're talking about two very different worlds and two the sort of the alpha and omega of of Anglican life. 1689 is, of course, when the of course the English Reformation has been in place for. Over a century, and the Catholic James II has been sent off to uh, Parisian exile and replaced with uh, uh, William III and Mary II. And England is is a rigorously Protestant society, but a Protestant country in a society that is torn between uh, a kind of Protestant sensibility and a long uh, Catholic history. And the sermons reflect that. Of course, by 1901, we've gone through the sort of the the, the Augustan age and the Victorian age, and the readings, um, the, the sermons rather, um, evolve slowly. I would say from more theological discussions in the earlier periods to more, uh, one might say, almost political sermons. The Great Crusade in the early 19th century against the slave trade, for example, which was headquartered, one might say, in the Anglican Communion. Anyway, it's a, it seems like an interesting collection. Of course, Edward Short, as always, um, makes the subject interesting. That is followed by a review by Andre Van Loon, an English writer of a uh, English book originally published in England uh, entitled Letters from the Light Brigade, the British Cavalry in the Crimean War by Anthony Dawson, uh, published by Pen and Sword, which, uh, as you might guess, tends to specialize in military subjects. But I was speaking of Norman Mailer's correspondence. Of course, the Crimean War was in the 1850s, and of course, probably at this point, the most famous incident in the Crimean War is the uh, the charge of the 17th uh, Lancers, I guess, um, into the into the Russian guns, which inspired Tennyson's famous verse. But this is of, of interest because, of course, most accounts of military action in the historical past tend to be from the uh, head, from the point of view of headquarters and historians and so on. And these are actually letters from from low-ranking participants, just ordinary um, English soldiers. Um, who are uh, either keeping journals or writing home describing uh, what they have seen in the Crimean War and what their reaction is to the to the charge uh, I guess of Lord Raglan to to attack um, and it's an interesting exploration of not only the the state of mind of of the average one might say working class Englishman of that <clears throat> period or at least English um, uh, soldier um, but also the way such people looked at questions of duty and and personal responsibility and so on in wartime. In some ways, human nature hasn't changed at all, but in other ways, the circumstances of history, of course, change often dramatically, and that's no, 
couldn't be better illustrated than in these fascinating letters from the participants in the Charge of the Light Brigade. That is followed by an appreciation by John Breen. John Breen writes for us um, uh, almost exclusively on murder mysteries. And, of course, this past month we lost one of the great masters of the genre, P.D. James, the British novelist um, who um, ended life as Baroness James of Holland Park, um, um, a very distinguished uh, crime novelist, um, and a very interesting crime novelist, but also a woman who had a very um, very interesting and varied um, uh, public life uh, as a novelist and public figure. Of course, she came to writing um, fiction comparatively late in life. She was, I think, in her 40s when her first um, uh, novel was published. But, of course, her her fiction, especially her Adam Dalgleish uh, murder mysteries, Adam Dalgleish being the uh, London policeman who's also a published poet, are, of course, well-known here not only as bestsellers but as the... Um, uh, the uh, thanks to the um, PBS uh, programs based on the novels of P.B. James. A nice appreciation of an interesting and, and entirely satisfactory life. That is followed by a uh, review by Daniel Ross Goodman, a young writer in New York, of the exhibition at New York's Neue Galerie, um, which is a Museum on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, which uh, specializes, I think, almost exclusively in in German art. Um, and this is a show um, through uh, the end of next month of the Austrian uh, painter Egon Schiele. It's his portraits, actually. Schiele is a Austrian expressionist, a contemporary of Klimt, and I guess a slight precursor to excuse me, Otto Dix in Germany, but um, a man who in his very short life, he died in the influenza epidemic of 1918 at the age of 28, I think, but um, nevertheless produced a series of very arresting, very expressionist, one might say, very Teutonic portraits which are on display in the show, um, which uh, I think will probably, um, and I'm only guessing here, but I think they are so arresting, and Goodman's description of them is um, so interesting that I think they will prompt you, especially if you're in New York, to see this show. John Podhortz's movie uh, review this uh, week is Foxcatcher, um, a film starring Steve Carell and Channing Tatum. Steve Carell, of course, of The Office is is uh, doing a dramatic role of the uh, perhaps well-known story of the DuPont uh, heir, John DuPont IV, who was fascinated by wrestling and established a kind of wrestling camp at his estate in suburban Philadelphia. And um, um, his, one might say, uh, uh, more than professional interest in young wrestlers, um, which ultimately led to a, a tragic murder for which he was sent to prison and where he ultimately died. Um, John, as always, as I always say, 
um, whether you agree with his conclusions or not, um, um, the way he arrives at them is always very interesting and always informed with a deep and insightful knowledge of American cinema. So that's our issue for the December 15th Books and Arts section. I thank you very much for joining me for these few moments to talk about them, and I look forward to talking with you about our next issue. Thank you.